and welcome to Middle of the Dial, a music show and podcast for the entertainment website Middle of the Row. I am Jonathan Rahul, and I am a writer and contributor for the aforementioned website, as well as the host of this show. This is episode 002, our second episode. Um, If you would have asked me a couple months ago when I was kind of thinking of the idea for this podcast, that not only you would get past the first episode, but get to the second episode, I probably would have said you would be crazy. But I've been really lucky and fortunate to have recorded two episodes. If you haven't checked out our first one, I did an interview with writer and musician Luke O'Neill. He is a writer for Esquire magazine, as well as the singer in the band No Hope No Harm. And they recently had their debut EP released. It's called Swimming in the Charles. It is really good. You should totally check it out. Uh, It's kind of a mix of early email with a little bit of shoegaze. So think Sunny Day Real Estate, Jimmy World kind of thing. Um, And I was really fortunate uh, to have talked to him. He was a really good guy. Uh, We talked about emo, past and present. Uh, the genre as a whole, and just what it's like to be a musician in the scene. So definitely check that out. But for today, I am extremely lucky and fortunate as well to say that today's episode features an interview I did with Chris Dudley of Under Oath. Chris is the uh, keyboardist and sampler for Under Oath, uh, the legendary uh, post-hardcore heavy metal at one point scream at one point just overall amazing rock band uh a staple of my early teenage years um they are releasing a new record they have released a new record i should say it's called erase me and it just came out on fearless records yesterday you should totally go check it out uh chris was an amazing guy to talk to uh really genial really genial excuse me awesome and easy to talk to very casual uh we talked about his favorite films of the year his love for a24 films uh we talked about the star wars series we talked about what it's like to be a father and musician and then we just talked some under oath we talked about the reunion what that was like how that went down and what it was like to make the new record so i'm gonna shut up and let you go ahead and listen to my interview with the amazing Chris Dudley of Under Oath. So, uh, the Oscars, I guess, were a couple of weeks ago. Uh, did you watch the ceremony? Did you were you, did you have any favorites, or were there any snubs, in your opinion, that were left out of it? Oh, man, I did not watch any part of the Oscars this year. Because um, I, I have to kind of go out of the way to, uh, to watch the Oscars, because I, I haven't had cable in, like, 10 years so i have to try to find some way to watch it but now it's a little easier because you can uh you know you can stream it and stuff but i just uh, i didn't put the effort into uh to watch it um i was really glad to hear that uh blade runner won for uh cinematography because i i felt that if it didn't that would have been just ridiculous because that movie was a freaking spectacle for the eyes uh, yeah, I was really happy about that. Um, I have to go back and look at uh, who won what. I honestly didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it this year. I don't know why that is. I just didn't. It didn't. There wasn't anything that I was super rooting for. Yeah. Uh, like I, I didn't think there was a there. There was a ton of great films that came out this year. There, there were a handful of really, really good ones, but very few great ones. So 
there wasn't anything that I was uh, tuning in to root for. Anything? So, anything in particular from this last year that like really stood out to you besides Blade Runner? Uh, Arrival, I think, was probably uh, the. I think that was probably the movie for me that uh, it hit me the hardest. I think out of any movie I saw, um, I, you know, I think Killing of a Sacred Deer was also really good, um, but I don't think it hit me on the same level that Arrival did. Um, you know, I think Arrival, it, it it was working on a lot of different levels, obviously, but I think for me, being a dad, there was just something about both of those movies that struck a chord with me um have you seen killing them sacred deer yet i have uh my uh the guy who started our website and podcast zach he's a huge a24 fan and so me too i need to hang out with this guy (laughs) i will let him know that so he's whenever they put out a film he's always super high on it so i i recently saw killing of a sacred deer and that yeah that was intense to say the least but in a good way yeah, it was, um, yeah, on the A24 front, it's funny that he is super adamant about them, because anytime I see a trailer, if once I see A24, I just, I just stop watching it. Like, I don't watch trailers anyway, but if I happen to see A24, I make sure to not watch anything else, because I know I'm just going to go see the movie anyway, but they, they're, they're on a roll. They've got a lot of really good stuff, but, um, yeah, Killing of a Sacred Deer was really, I, I'm not a huge fan. Um, I, for, I forget the name of the guy that directed it, but um, I'm not a huge fan of his. Uh, he kind of had the same thing in The Lobster, which is the the actor's delivery. You know, everything is really dry, and uh, you know it's intentionally so. But I, I'm just not a huge fan of that. But I, you know, I accept it for what it is. Um, but I don't know that without giving anything away. There's a scene with the. Uh, toward the end with blindfolds that was like really intense and it was almost funny which it definitely i I've, i shouldn't have been thinking it was funny but it was kind of funny i don't know if you felt the same way well, but it, it just um, the awkwardness of it and the repetition like it, yes there was there was a sense of vulnerability that uh colin farrell's character had in that moment which is new like normally like pretty funny but then you realize oh you you it takes a second to click in oh this is what he's actually doing though and and then you're yeah like, oh, this is just awkward and disturbing yeah it's and it was disturbing like to the nth degree like i think again because i'm a dad that was just like you know you can't you you know because you you tend to put yourself in the in the character's position and i was putting myself in that position and it was just like horrifying like it was just like gut wrenching, horrifying, but at the same time, they were playing it for an awkward laugh. And you know, I think for for a movie to be able to walk that line, I I got to give it props for that. So, yeah. And you said it was, you said it was similar to his first movie, too, The Lobster. Well, I was saying uh, more so in the actor's delivery and the way that they're directed and the, the, the a similar tone. Okay. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, obviously they're totally different movies, but he has a way with, I don't know how he does it, but he just, you know, all the lines are given in a really dry, uh, understated way as to like, it, it it's, it's very uh, apparent that they're reading from a script, which I think is weird, but you know, that's his style and it's different. So I back that. So apparently uh, Zach was telling me, cause he's, he loved the lobster too. He loved, so the, I guess the filmmaker's name is Yorgos Lanth. 
Lanthimos. He's a Greek filmmaker. Okay. And so Zach has like read up on him and followed all his stuff. Apparently he writes all his scripts directly into Greek. And then after he finishes them and after he's like satisfied with them, he has them translated. So that's why and that was a big thing with me for Killing of a Sacred Deer where it took me a while to get used to the like you said, the tone and how they were talking because I was like, no one talks this directly or straightforwardly and it just seems like Interesting. It's off by a little bit, but I guess I don't, I don't know if he did that on purpose. Well, obviously, I guess he did it on purpose, but I'm not sure what his intention was with it. But it does, like you said, it leaves you a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit, like, tilted. Um, yeah, and, and at, I think at first when I was watching it, it, it was kind of just annoying me because I saw the lobster after I saw Killing of the Sacred Deer. And, I, and it, when I, you know, going into Killing of the Sacred Deer, I didn't know anything about it. And, like, five minutes in, I was like, why the hell are why the hell is everybody talking like this? Like I had a similar gripe with brick. Um, okay, cause yeah. this, the same kind of thing where I got that they were going for a specific tone and a specific idea, but it was just not something that I was digging, but I felt like I was able to, uh, put that aside for killing of a sacred deer because I thought the premise was really interesting and the characters were great. So I was able to look past it. Nice. nice. It's, it's funny that you bring up brick. So, Right before the last Jedi came out, um, we did a we did a I guess a short series on our podcast about the director Ryan Johnson's like previous three films, and so yeah. we reviewed Brick and uh, Looper, and there was another The Brothers Bloom. Uh, yes, and so yeah, I it was funny because I remember I hadn't seen any of the other two, but I'd seen Brick back when I was in high school, and when I revisited it, it was still a I don't know. Yeah, it's it takes you a while, and a lot of you kind of have to learn the lingo at the same time as you're watching the film, which is I feel like at times a little bit too much to ask of the audience. But the tone, I really I appreciated the tone. I appreciated like like you said, like the uniqueness of trying to go for that kind of uh, idea of taking that. Yeah, lingo. Ex- yeah, exactly. And I and I. I remember, because I've only seen it once, and I only saw three quarters of it. I never do this, but I was watching it. I was watching it at home, um, and I got, like, three quarters of the way through it, and I I stopped it. And I was like, I, I get what, I, you know, he's given it the try to do something interesting, and I get that people, some people are going to like it. It was just really irking me, and I, I was just like, I just don't feel like watching this anymore. So I just, <laughs> I turned it off. Looper, on the other hand... I, that is, I think, one of the best sci-fi movies ever made, in my opinion. I love, love that movie. What, so what did you, in particular, like, what did you especially respond to from that film? Man, there was so much. Like, I really liked the way that the script dealt with the explanation of time travel and the, the fact that they didn't get into a lot of the mechanics of it. Yeah. They just... You know, the conversation they're having in the diner when uh, I think they're in the diner when basically he says, uh, you know, we can we can talk about how this works all day, but you know, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, let's let's move on. And I really really like that. Um, and I think that the yeah, just the way that it looked was great. I thought that the uh, the way that it dealt with the the, the the physical elements of time travel, like the, the way that people would appear and disappear. Um, I thought it was, it's obviously very simple because they're just like there and then they're not, but there, there was nothing, uh, uh, 
like magical about it. It just seemed like, oh, okay, there's you know, there's somebody there, and then they're not there, except for the one glaring exception toward the toward the end of the movie, and that that part was a uh, that part was pretty cool. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was just it was just really fresh. I thought the script was great, the action was great. Um, it was just all around awesome, and that was what when I found out that he was doing the Last Jedi, that was all I was going off of. I was just like, oh, like. You know, he did Looper, so he's going to do a good job with The Last Jedi, or at least he's going to do a, a a passable job, because, you know, anybody who can pull off something like Looper, I'm going to go see whatever they're doing next. So then, what did you, how'd you feel he did with The Last Jedi? Because I know that one got a little bit of, a little bit of controversy, or a little bit of a disappointment from, like, some diehard fans or some fringe Star Wars fans. What, well, and before, actually, before I get to it, what has been your connection with the Star Wars franchise? And, like, are, do you consider yourself a diehard, or did you get into it kind of later, or? So what's, uh, what's interesting uh, about Star Wars for me is I saw uh, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back when I was, when I was little, um, but somehow I hadn't seen uh, Return of the Jedi. I saw Return of the Jedi probably when I was like 20 for the first time. I, I hadn't seen it before then. Um, so I was, I was never like a super huge Star Wars fan. Um, but uh, when The Force Awakens came out, uh, I took my, my daughters to see it. And my oldest daughter, like, she just completely was in like the yeah. like all the characters the entire uh the entire storyline she she wanted to go back and watch all the old ones so you know my relationship to star wars at least over since the force awakens came out has been super super deep because my daughter is super deep into it like she's you know she wants to be captain phasma and she wants to be ray and she's got the posters and the the uh you know, the notebooks and the teeth, like all any piece of merchandise you can get, she has for Star Wars. So that being said, I thought that The Force Awakens was great. Like I really, really, really like that movie. I, I get the uh the criticism that that film had because of the fact that it um you know the the plot was basically a new hope, but that that's a longer conversation, but I, I forgave it for that. Um and going into the last Jedi, I was really excited about it. Um, I felt like uh, a lot of thoughts about it. In, in general, overall, I thought that it was really, really good. Yeah. Um, there were things that I didn't like when I saw them, but then when I thought about it afterward, I kind of gave it a pass. Like the, um, you know, not to get spoilery, but there's a there's a a, a battle uh, with. Uh, ATAT walkers Um, and I was hoping for more there but obviously there wasn't as much as we would have hoped would have happened there Um, but then when you go back and realize as far as the plot and the script is concerned why nothing more happens I I back that Um, the the send off to um. Uh. Oh, sorry. Hold on. I'm, I'm driving. I actually just made a wrong turn because I'm not paying attention where I'm going. Oh my bad. Um, sorry. The the send off to Leia I thought was um, you know, 
it was it was cool. I I thought that the whole like uh, her, you know, not to get spoilery again, but the the big moment when she uses the force, yeah, um, I pretty pretty hokey. But knowing that they had filmed all that prior to her passing, you know, again, I gave that a pass. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, that's what they wanted to do. So overall, it was good. Um, there was a particular moment. There's a uh, uh, a lightsaber battle in a room with uh with uh, some red stuff you know what what's <laughs> yeah so feel free to get spoilery i'm gonna assume that if anyone's listening they've either seen it or they've listened to our episode about about the movie too because we talked about it but yeah so talk talk about that scene okay so that scene i, I was like clenching my seat during that scene i thought that that was phenomenal i thought that uh I thought that Kylo Ren was potentially going to turn, uh, you know, when they are on the same side fighting for whatever, two minutes, you know, however long that is, I was looking around just being like, this is movie magic. Like, I just freaking, I loved it. And the uh, the part where uh, he turns the lightsaber towards Snoke, I was just like, oh, you, I, I thought that that was just so great. But, um yeah, so overall, I thought it was good. There were some issues with it. I felt that it got way more hate than it deserved. Um, but I feel that with a with a Star Wars movie, there's no way that you're going to make it to where it's just universally loved because Star Wars holds such a deep place with so many people. You're just not going to be able to, to, to walk that line properly, I don't think. No, that's, that's really fair. And considering, I think one of the things we said was essentially we're handing this franchise off to these writers who their involvement or investment in the franchise is probably at varying levels, but we're asking them, even if it's like a super low investment to like write their own fanfic. And then you've got these people who are professional writers and directors for sure, but they're going up against also fans who have read like every single novelization and every single, like watched every single like series and TV show and like knows like, every dark like or like secret conspiracy or theory about the universe and so yeah it's it's really hard to please everyone especially when you're going up against those types of people um, yeah you can, and you never can i mean no, no piece of art is ever going to be universally loved there's always going to be somebody that hates something so it's like you know you just gotta you know i i i back jj and ryan's uh approach to both films like they're they're different but you know i think that they both went with what they what they felt strongly about and i and i think that's the best thing you can do nice so i want to go back to that idea in a little bit about like artists versus audience i feel like you guys have kind of been feeling a little bit of that recently but before that i want so you talked about how much uh the new star wars franchise has made has meant to your daughter um especially and you mentioned like seeing these powerful like female roles like ray's care ray or uh captain phasma and that kind of thing so that was that was the thing that was really uh i guess on like on the public mind in terms of the me too movement and uh whether it's systemic and almost institutionalized like marginalization of female artists and actors or just even just when you talk about the pay difference between genders, um, mm -hmm. that's something that's been coming to the forefront and that there seems to be some action. Um, as it applies to your sort of realm and your sort of industry, what, 
Or before I get to that, so what is it meant to you as a father, first of all, to see more films like that where they're having strong, powerful female roles? Um, and what does that mean for uh, the example that kind of sets for your daughter or that kind of thing? Dude, I, you know, it sounds, it sounds cheesy, but I, I, I don't think I would have been able to appreciate how important having those type of roles be at the forefront is unless I was actually a father to a daughter um you know because you know because my daughter you know she attaches uh you know she sees some of herself i think in you know a lot of film characters and you know she gravitates more towards some than others but i think for star wars in particular having you know the main protagonist be a young strong woman i think is just so great because that's you know that, that's just a you know a great example i mean because my older daughter she's she's eight so you know it's, it's a great age for her to be able to see something like that um but also that being said she equally loves harry potter and i don't think to her i don't think she gets the difference yet of what a uh what a strong young male character versus a strong young female character, the difference that that, that that makes. But I, I I do think that even if it's subconscious for her at this point, um, there is a, uh, there is a difference there and, uh, it's, it's awesome. Like, you know, and I, I'm not the type where I would, you know, I'm, I'm going to, uh, intentionally go seek out films with my daughter that have, those type of roles like i'm not you know I'm, I'm not searching those out but the fact that uh that one of her favorite films has those type of roles i think is just is is awesome nice nice well um so then transitioning into like the industry and the culture that you've been part of for the greater part of 10 10 or more years um we've seen some of that kind of filter into the music industry with uh, more kind of conversations about the representation of females in the music industry or even how they're treated at shows and that kind of thing. Um, For you, because you're about to go on tour again uh, to promote this new record, how has it changed you and the band's kind of perspective as a touring artist when it comes to um, your female fans and just their presence in the scene and in the culture. And has that, have you guys had talks about or about how you use your platform then to address that, those kinds of, uh, injustices? Um, I, as far as we're concerned, I don't think that anything has really changed at all. And I don't think that that's, um, I think that's a, that's a good thing, you know, cause we've, um, you know, we've always, you know, if we see any sort of, you know, because I think there is a, is a, uh, uh, an element of uh, girls or women, you know, being treated a specific way. It shows, you know, I'll, you know, we'll look down from stage and we'll see girls, uh, you know, crowd surfing and then guys are like grabbing their butts and stuff. And like, we've always made it a point to call that stuff out. And I'm, I'm hoping that just with a, with an, an increased uh, uh, dialogue about that sort of stuff, that's going to happen less and less. Um, but on the same note, we've never really been a band to uh, to take stances on 
uh, on issues like that. You know, like we're as as humans, as people, you know, we, we're always going to uh, be on the side of equality and be on the side of, um, you know, everyone getting the same chance. But, um, you know, we, we, I think that we have always, uh, done a pretty good job of just making sure that everyone knows that everyone is welcome and accepted, uh, at our shows, listening to our music. And, you know, I would just hope that we'd be able to continue to do that. Nice. So it sounds like you guys are trying to come from it from a more like just organic place of, hey, you, everyone has is coming to the show because there's something of welcome of safety that they're seeing this. Let's just make sure we keep that consistent or the same for everyone. But not necessarily, yeah, for sure. Not necessarily yeah, like yeah. some sort of campaign or. Uh, yeah, no, because because I because I think that it's it's real easy to, you know, jump on a wagon of okay well this is a this is an, uh, a cause that people are getting behind so let's let's use that to uh to increase our good press and that sort yeah. of stuff but you know and i and you know i think that that happens a lot and it you know and in the end it might end up all just being a good thing you know, no matter how no matter what the motivations are that people have because if it's like i said if it's increasing dialogue for an issue that that exists then that's great but we're we're more just like we're just dudes, and we're saying, like, hey, like, come and watch us play. Don't be an awful person. We don't care if you're a man or a woman or, a, you know, uh, if you're straight or gay or black or white. Like, we want to bang our head, and we want you to come and bang your head, and just don't be don't be shitty. Like, just yeah. be, a good, be a good person, and that's the way that we've always been. So we just want to continue to be that way. Nice, nice. So then with... I guess you guys got back together for your reunion when it was uh, around the time of, I guess it was the 10-year anniversary of, was it uh, They're Only Chasing Safety or To Find the Great Line? You guys went on tour for both of them at the same yes. time, right? So then yes. how, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how uh, the idea to get back together to do the reunion tour, um, how that transpired, and was it, did it happen with the intention of, hey, we're also back together to write new music in the future and go on tour? Or did that come as a result of playing music again and that kind of thing? Yeah, so it all came about initially, funny enough, through a uh, a group text. Um, you know, because after we broke up, you know, we still we still kept in touch and we had this, uh, this group text of the, all the band guys um, and we would just send, you know, stupid gifts and you know, dumb things we would see, and you know, it was not. There was no actual conversation happening there. It was just dumb pictures all day long. Um, but then uh, somebody uh, had brought up the fact that, um, you know, at, at this point we were all off doing other things. You know, like none of us had the band even on the radar. Um, but somebody had brought up the fact that Defying the Great Line was turning ten. And we were like, hey, what if we played a show? Like, would, would you guys be interested in doing that? Like, not getting back together per se, but just, you know, celebrating that record, you know, it, it meant a lot to us. It's meant a lot to other people, you know, and we just, you know, kind of wanted to celebrate it. And to make a really long story short, that conversation snowballed into, Hey, let's do an entire tour to celebrate that record. And let's also play, uh, they're only chasing safety because we were broken up when they're only chasing safety turned 10. So we'll just do it like a double, you know, a double date deal. Um, 
And uh, we, uh, at that point, we didn't have any intention at all of uh, doing anything after that tour, let alone making any more music. It was literally, we left home looking at that as just like a vacation of like, hey, we're going to get to go and play music for, you know, a few weeks and have fun and it'll be awesome. And uh, it was probably about halfway through that tour uh, when we started realizing, uh, you know, the the vibe on the bus between us. You know, Aaron was back. He had, he had been out of the band for, <clears throat> gosh, uh, eight years at that point. So he was back in the band. Um, and we were realizing how much... M- we had all grown in the years since we had broken up. We realized how much our relationship with Aaron in particular had, had, had changed in the years since he had left the band. Um, and we were seeing what all of this meant to the people that were coming to see us play. And I think a combination of all of that, uh, just sparked a conversation amongst us like, Hey, like, you know, is this something we would consider doing again, but not the same way? Because, you know, when we, when we broke up, like we, we had always had this mentality of, um, you know, under oath is 100% of who we are. And we're either going to do it at a hundred percent and devote everything to it, or we're not going to do it at all. And toward the end of us being a band, you know, it had gotten to a point where specifically me and Tim and James we're like, well, if that's what it is, then we don't want to do it at all because, you know, you know, I've got three kids. Tim's got three kids and James has three kids now. Um, and we were just like, man, like, you know, we don't want to be those dads who in, you know, 10, 15 years, our kids are looking at us and be like, well, you know, that's cool that you were playing music. But where were you, you know, when I had my dance recital sort of thing, you know? Um, so that was what ultimately drove us to breaking up is we decided we weren't going to do it anymore um due to that um but then when we started talking again um we were realizing that there may be another way to do the band to where we can be the dads that we want to be we can be home most of the time and still be able to create music and go on tour and it was a lot of conversations with uh with the six of us but also with our management and our booking agent where basically we came to them and said, we want to do this. We have a desire to create music. We love being on the road. We have a lot of creativity built up over these years that we want to do a record, but we also want to make sure that we're doing it in a way to where everyone is fulfilled and everyone is happy and there's no resentment. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, figuring out how scheduling was going to work uh, studio stuff, writing, all that stuff. But, uh, the end of those conversations was, wow, like we can do this and we can do it in a way to where we're going to be happier than we've ever been in this band because we're going to, you know, be able to, when we're doing under oath, we're doing it because we want to, and not because we're sucked into this two year cycle of writing and recording and touring. Um, so, you know, that being said, we've been, We've been on that since uh, twenty, you know, the end of twenty sixteen, and it's been great. Like you know, there, you know, every time we get together, it's it's fun, and um, 
we're doing it because we want to. And, you know, we recorded a record with, you know, and people didn't know we were recording, which was great because there was no pressure there. And, uh, yeah. So overall it's been, man, it's been great. It's been really good. So with that, I think when, when you guys dropped that first single erase me or not, wait, was it erase me? Uh, that's the name of the record. The first song was all my teeth. That's right. All my teeth. Yeah. And you guys dropped the video for that, and I think I'm pretty sure my head exploded. I was like, "Wait, they're recording it!" Like, I didn't even know this was happening. And I'm sure, like, hundreds of fans, millions of fans across the world were just like, "Oh my gosh!" It was funny because I uh, I host trivia as a side gig too, and there was a time when a guy came in. I think it was that day. No, it was that exact day. And the guy was wearing the Under Oath shirt. I'm like, "Dude, I'm playing the new single just because you're wearing that shirt tonight." Um, that's awesome <laughs> and it was it was just it was this cool moment we got to connect over like growing up in the youth group scene and like the tooth and nail and solid state culture like as kids or whatever and it was it was just a really cool moment to see that this music's like still means so much to people um even years later it's um, crazy <laughs> it's and it's it's th- thank you for that because i mean without you that wouldn't have been possible Oh, dude. Well, that's that's awesome. I, I don't ever feel comfortable taking credit for that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I always just say, you know, the fact that, that um, you know, God's able to use our music at all to do anything is awesome. So that's yeah, that rules. So so thank you for that. So with that new. Di- so you talked about this new dynamic. How <clears throat> it just seems like a more positive and conducive environment for you guys for where you are. <coughs> do you think that also led to any kind of stylistic changes and how do you how do you balance that like we were talking about earlier sort of the desire to create art within the context that you want to but then also being unaware of how your audience is going to receive it or uh when maybe they kind of push back at it or they don't respond immediately to it what what has that been like with uh the new stuff that's been coming out yeah, I think that, um, you know, the creative difference between now and before, um, it's, it's uh, you know, there's, I think the biggest factor there is time, um, you know, because it's been, you know, we haven't put out a record in almost a decade, and we've been playing music and writing music that entire time, and, um, you know, they're, they're, you know, we've, we've grown as musicians and our, our, our tastes have changed. And, um, it's, it's interesting cause, you know, kind of going back to the, to the star Wars thing, like, um, you know, you can go and you can, you can write something that you think people are going to like be- because you think they're going to like it. Um, but I feel like that's always, you're, you're always able to tell that that's inauthentic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when we sat down to write this record, you know, we, we, we all had a bunch of ideas um, from when we were broken up because we, we had all continued writing. Like, we're all musicians. Um, and we were realizing that we, we were all writing stuff that, that just sounded so different. And we realized that we were, um, you know, we had all these different tastes and these different talents that we were not. Uh, we were not exploring in Under Oath. Um, and we we realized that when we started writing for the record, 
we uh, we didn't want to try to write an under oath record because we felt that that would be the most disingenuous thing we could do. Like we sit down and we were like, okay, you know, what do people want to hear from an under oath record? Okay, let's go ahead and do that. And we've, we've never done that. Like that's, you know, I, I, as far, I can remember back when they're only chasing safety came out, people were just pissed at that record because we at, before that we were a lot heavier and, uh, you know, we were touring with all metal bands, and, and that was the scene that we were in. So when we released The Only Chasing Safety, and it had, you know, Aaron singing all over it, and there was all this poppy, like, Jimmy World-sounding stuff, like, just our, our fans were not super pumped. Some of them were not super pumped on it. But we were like, well, this is what is stoking us out right now, so this is what we're going to do. And then fast-forward two years... You know, we toured on their only chasing safety, but we had this like desire to create something darker, and we wanted to be we wanted it to be more heavy and you know uh, musically, lyrically, we just wanted to go in a darker place where you know our label and our management were like, "Look, you guys are seeing success from this album, and you know if you lean into the the the." the melody and the choruses and the poppiness of it, you guys are, are going to get huge. Uh, er, and, but we were just like that. We don't want to write something that we think people want to hear. We just want to write something to where the six of us are in a room. We're laughing because of how stoked we are on a particular song. And that's what we did with define the great line. And I remember before the define, before define the great line came out, I remember talking to Spencer, we were listening to the record and I remember verbatim, I said, man, there's going to be a lot of pissed off 13 year old girls. Cause at that point <laughs> we had, we had a lot of young fans that, you know, really liked a lot of the poppy stuff. And we were just like, that's not what we want to do. And we didn't do it. And, you know, to find the great line came out and it ended up, you know, doing really well. And I think, you know, that's because it was what we wanted to write and people could tell that. And that was the same with, with every record um, that we put out after. Um, you know, I think that Lost in the Sound of Separation, it was a little more, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot more hints of the record previous in that one than any record that we had done. And I think that's just because by, by the time we were writing that record, our, our touring cycle was just bananas and we were, you know, trying to create while on tour, which is a little hard. But, you know, fast forwarding, you know, I, we're in the exact same spot now that, that we're always in. You know, we, we, got, we got together, we started writing, we had these songs that were just exciting us, and we were like, well, does this sound like Under Oath? And we realized that Under Oath is whatever we write. You know, when the, when the six of us get together and a record is done, what comes out of it is Under Oath. And, um, you know, there, there are going to be people who who like it and there's going to be people who don't. And at the end of the day, everything isn't for everyone. And I think that that's, that's just how it is. And I think that's awesome. Like, um, you know, some of my favorite bands have put out some of my least favorite music I've ever heard. And some of my, some bands that I don't like will put out an album where I'm like, man, I don't like those guys, but this album is like, really good that's so that's an interesting yeah. can you can you mention any like specifically just off the top of your head that's an interesting idea right there that a yeah um hmm, let me think i will say that um uh guns and roses uh are one of my favorite bands of all time 
but they have a song called My World, which is just complete hot garbage. Um, it is. I, have you ever heard it? I have not. It's the last song on. I think it's User Illusion Two, okay. and it is just just god awful, just garbage. But that said, they're in my top three favorite bands of all time. Um, uh, let me think. Uh, as far as a band that I don't particularly like that has a good album, um, let me think here. I'm actually scrolling through my music here to to see. Um, I, I know Dead Air is great for a podcast. Um, no, you're good. I mean, we can I can edit through and whatever. Well, it's interesting because now I'm trying to add, like filter through my music too, and also be like, what? Like, all right, let let let's leave room for an edit then, and then uh, yeah. we can uh, let. Uh, let me see here. Because uh, I definitely have yeah. guilty pleasure song. Uh, excuse me, guilty pleasure songs for sure. Um, for instance, I'm pretty sure I've played that new Demi Lovato song at least three times a day for the past month. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I've, uh, I don't think I've heard it. It's a, I don't. There's like a, I mean, it's a typical. Like you listen to it, and there definitely could be any plethora of female pop artists who could probably have sung it. But there's just a really funky like piano line to it that seems a little bit more gotcha. old school, even though it's still kind of like this like dance number there, there there's there's a little bit of throwback in there and that's cool know, it's been resonating with me i oh i will say i i think the perfect example of this is uh uh harry styles the guy from one direction yeah um i i would never in my life think that i'd be saying hey you need to go check out the record from that guy from one direction but his solo record is one of the best things i've heard in the past five years it is just phenomenal and yeah. i always preface it with man i would never think that i'd be telling people to go listen to the one direction guys record but dude it's just so so good so yeah i think that's a good example of that I, so i've been hearing that like a lot and so i think you've confirmed it that i have to like immediately after we ha hang up to go and listen to that album then uh oh yeah. man you should it's great so with, so talking about like with the new stuff, what sort of influences have you guys been bringing uh, to write this new record? And personally, what sort of influences have you been bringing? Uh, well, I think it's it, it, in one aspect, it's kind of hard to say only because a lot of this material that made it on the record is stuff that we had been writing individually over the past, you know, four years or so. Um, but, you know, the influences are all over the place. Um, just because the music that we listen to is all over the place. Um, uh, gosh, um, I guess off the top of my head, I'm thinking of stuff that we were listening to in the studio and saying, you know, man, that's that's awesome. Like there was a there was this uh, Wilco song. We we saw them perform on this like late night show, and we were just like, man, we wish we had something like that. Um, you know, Nine Inch Nails, I think, is always a band that we can agree on that just knows how to do it correctly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but other than, really, other than uh, Deftones, Nine Inch Nails, and uh, the, I don't know, those might, those might be the only two bands that all of us agree are great. Um, 
Uh, other than that, any band that I mentioned, there would be at least one person in the band that says they're not good. So, you know, and, I, and, I, and I think that that's, you know, that's just what it's all about creating with a group of guys because, you know, the fact that we're able to settle on 11 songs that we're all like, yeah, this is dope after, you know, filtering through all of our tastes, um, you know, that's, that's a, I think that's just a testament to, you know, the creative process. So real quick, who is that band that you would say is awesome that everyone else in the band would be like, Chris, you're an idiot. Oh, oh, many. Uh, hold on. Let me see. Um, uh, I really like, uh, after the burial, Okay. Um, yeah. which I normally don't get into that sort of thing. Um, but I just, uh, I went and saw some friends play and they opened up for them and i it's just one of those things where i saw the opening band i was like who the hell is this i'd never heard them before and i you know i'm a, a fan of theirs now um uh there's uh, this rapper named hopson that i really like okay, that yeah. no one else really likes he's really good uh gosh fear factory i love fear factory no one else in the band does um i, I would say that i I'm pro me me and Aaron are probably the two guys that like the most stuff that nobody else in the band does. Um like we both like a lot of pop stuff. Yeah. Um you know so, you know some country stuff sometimes. Uh I like uh, I'm probably not probably I am the one that listens to the most actual heavy music. Okay. So a lot like go I love Gojira. They're really good. Nobody else in the band likes them. Um so it's yeah it's that that sort of thing where you know, but but I think that's good. You know, I think that that just, you know, makes it to where our our music has those different influences, but it's not so diehard in one direction. Yeah. So it was interesting also that you brought up uh, Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails because he he has also been veering in that direction where he has been doing more like film scoring and that kind of thing. And so I remember actually, I think back when. Straylight Run first came out. I remember watching an interview with John Nolan, and he was talking about sort of how much movie soundtracks and scores really had an effect on him. And sort of he would think about specific movie moments and how the sound and the and the soundtrack pushed it to a certain feeling. And he would try to almost recreate recreate that yep. with the stuff that he was doing. So have there been similar influences for you? So like, sort of what are some movie soundtracks or scores that have really stood out to you and really influenced sort of also how you write things on the music side? Oh, well, yeah, 100%. Um, that's the exact same thing for me. Um, uh, I guess the, the one example I can point to in particular is um, when we were recording uh, and writing Lost in the Sound of Separation, um, I was watching uh, 28, uh, 28 Weeks Later a lot. And uh, the guy, John Murphy, that did that score, um, I just, I really like the way that he does basically everything. <laughs> so, and uh, I think that you can tell that by the the last song on Lost in the Sound of Separation. Um, I was writing that while I was listening to a lot of his stuff. And, you know, now that I have distance from it, I, I think it's pretty blatant, but I wasn't meaning it to. Um, so, yeah, there's that. But I've, I've always... Uh, you know, I think that film music and, uh, you know, what I'm writing is always, uh, really tied together. Um, uh, you know, when I was, uh, when I was working on, uh, a lot of the album stuff, um, 
you know, I was listening to, uh, you know, some of the, uh, like the movie Sunshine. I really like that score. Um, you know, the Sicario score is just so good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually getting into, uh, scoring films now, which I'm really, uh, which I'm really stoked on. And I'm, 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 you know, learning that, that world as well, which I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to be able to do something that's, that's not biting someone else there as well. But yeah, for, yeah, for me, uh, you know, film scores and what I'm writing is, has always been, uh, uh, have always been connected. Gotcha. Uh, So what is that? What has that process been like trying to get into that medium and try to not just match what you're doing now, what like your tones and your sounds with some lyrics or whatever, but now match it with some visuals? What is how has that enhanced the task or maybe um, deepened it for you or made you appreciate it more? What's that been like? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. It's been a huge learning process. Um, It's been. Uh, it's definitely different. Like, you know, the, the process is a completely different creative process. Um, you know, I've, uh, you know, I'm working on a uh, film right now that I'm hoping to, my, my goal is to have it finished by Monday. Um, and then, uh, I have another one that I'm starting, uh, in April, but you know, for this first one that I'm working on, it's, it's been, you know, I've never created something with a specific intent. Like my, my, creative process has always been just, I'm going to just write what I feel like writing, but sitting down and having a scene in front of me and saying, I need to write something that accentuates this feeling in this scene. That's been something that I've never done before. So that's been really, really cool. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a task, you know, it's, it's not easy. Um, but, uh, I, I've learned a lot as far as my organization is concerned with, uh, you know, documenting my ideas, um, uh, you know, documenting different instruments, things like that. You know, I've, I, it's a huge learning curve. Um, but overall, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, by the end of this year, beginning of next year, I'll have, uh, uh, I mean, I, I will, I'll have a couple films, uh, you know, on a, on a reel to be able to show that either, uh, I know what I'm doing or, I'm not very good at it, but we'll see. It's turning out good so far. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I think that's one thing that also separated you guys as um, one of those heavy bands that was honestly pretty revolutionary in a sense, or at least for my generation and the type of music we were getting into at that time, there was always this kind of atmospheric and kind of um, soundtrack-like uh, quality to it where you could – you would naturally be listening to something and then you would start to see the image unfold. And I just kind of naturally in, in my own mind's eye. And I think of that when I listen to like Salmoneer off to find the great line or any of the, any of the songs off of lost in the sound or, um, disambigu- in disambigu- disambiguation, disambiguation, <laughs> um, that like there was always that kind of aspect to it. And I think if anything, uh, and this is not to, shit on like the scores and generations of metal and heavy artists beforehand, but it really changed things up. It really added another layer, I think to heavy music that was missing for a really long time. So awesome. Well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate it. And that, you know, again, I, uh, you know, I think we're all creatively, no matter who you are, you're a product of whatever it is that you've put in your eyes and your ears for, you know, everything leading up to that, you know, there's, you know, tons of bands who have, uh, you know, influence what I've done and what we've done. And, you know, it's just, 
you know, and, and I hope that, you know, through something that we've done, it would influence somebody to take what we've done and take it further. And, you know, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's awesome that, you know, even one person would look at anything that, that I've done or we've done and say that it changed something. That's, that's really cool. I appreciate it. So, uh, before I let you go real quick, uh, the aforementioned weird segment that, uh, I wanted to finish up with, it's, it's, the lightning round, if you will, it's kind of a rapid fire question. So I love it. Um, I've got like, like maybe nine or ten questions here, really quick. Um, some really just off the top of your head answers. A couple of these have been suggested to me by one of my co-hosts off the normal podcast, Lauren. So you can blame her for it or slag her on Twitter or whatever if you want to. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just answering as quick as possible, right? Yeah, and I mean some of them are, are a little bit heavy, so you like. Uh, you might have to think a little bit, but yeah, it's just supposed to be okay. like really quick, quick. All right, you ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Uh, first one: Backstreet Boys or In Sync? In Sync. I'm I'm an unapologetic In Sync fan. I legitimately love In Sync. Perfect. Uh, Chipotle or Qdoba? Uh, Chipotle, but they need to get their queso game on point because it tastes like they're not done with it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Uh, what is your pre-show ritual, and has it changed? Um, it has not changed. Uh, I, I stretch a, a lot. Um, I jump up and down a lot. Uh, and that's the gist. I put on dirty clothes. Um, so I don't get my, my, uh, my outfit all, all gross. Um, and I try to stretch my neck enough to where I don't get hurt <laughs> for all the head banging that we mentioned. Yes. <laughs> uh, the, what was the easiest song to write on the upcoming album? Uh, uh, probably uh i probably on my teeth um because it just it just came to us really quick like we had an idea it was a late night thing um we were just in the studio late and we were like man we should write something that sounds like this and it just completely flowed out and I, so i think that would probably be it nice uh what was the hardest song to write on the upcoming album the hardest song to write would probably be <clears throat> Let me think. Uh, I, uh, I, uh, sorry, that's a hard one. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say it's a song called Bloodlust. I think that was probably the hardest one. Um, it's just there was a lot that went into it, but I, I'm pumped with how it turned out. Nice, nice. Um, who has the best hygiene in the band? Uh, James, because he doesn't sweat when we play somehow. He, what? he, yeah. And he's, he, he's, I've never, I'm a, I'm a roommate with him when we're on tour, we share hotel rooms and he's never smelled. He's never like, he's always clean and dry and smells good. I don't know how that works. That's, that's hilarious because James always seems like he's the most stoic of you all. And so it seems Yeah, like, that's why he doesn't sweat. <laughs> like it just, it just seems like a quality that like goes with that really well. Um, who has yeah. the worst hygiene in the band? Oh boy, um, Tim. <laughs> for for whatever yeah. reason, I I felt like that was going to be the answer too. Um, yeah. Who is your favorite female artist slash musician? Oh gosh, that is so hard. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, I can't narrow it down to one. I'm gonna say Alanis Morissette. Nice. Um. Oh boy! Right now, computer magic. Um, I don't know if that's a if that's a an all time one. 
Um, and uh, mm, Lisa Gerard, probably. Nice, very nice. And finally, last one: who is uh, who is your current biggest influence slash recommendation that you would give to people for music? Oh boy. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, let me see. Oh, I'll say this because I've been listening to this a ton. There's a band called Lucius, um, and they have an album called Willed a Woman, and I think that it's almost perfect. Um, it's really, really, really good. Um, so that would be that would be one. Um, and then also uh, the Wear Your Wounds album, I think, is really good too. Um, I don't, I don't know if you've heard either of those, but they're they're both really good. Wear Your Wounds is uh, Jake from Converge. It's his solo thing. Gotcha. Um, and they're yeah, the, both of those albums are great. Awesome, awesome. Well, that was yeah. that's that's the end of the lightning round. So yeah, the, uh, all right, a couple hard ones in there. Chris, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Before I let you go, where can people follow you online as well as the band that you play in? Uh, my band is at under oath band on all the socials and I am at Chris under oath on all the socials. Awesome. Hey, again, thanks so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate the chance. Oh dude, of course. I'm glad it worked out again. My very special thanks to Chris Dudley of under oath for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to us for the podcast. Again, under oath has a new record out. And it is phenomenal. It's called Erase Me. It was released on Fearless Records. And it came out yesterday. So make sure you pick it up at the store, Target, Walmart. Or listen to it on whatever you listen to music. Uh, Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, whatever. Just make sure you check it out. It is incredible. That's going to do it for episode 2 of Middle of the Dial, the podcast. I'm Jonathan Rahul. Follow me on Twitter at AnotherRahulJ. And be sure to follow Middle of the Row on Twitter at middle of row hashtag know the and remember the best songs are in the middle of the dial stay golden